back to the Art of Dating podcast. This is season two, episode three. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, today's exciting. We're going to be talking about spirituality and spiritual attractiveness. So we're excited to be with you today. Yes, this will be a great topic. We just did this in our dating courtship class at the Institute. And uh, it was one that we hadn't done before. And after the class, I walked right out and found you, right? And I'm like, I we have got to do this as an episode because... Yeah. Just listening to the students' comments, I went, oh, man, this is some brilliant stuff that I think everybody would benefit from. Exactly. I think a lot of times we talk about the importance of being spiritual and having a relationship with God, but not necessarily like, okay, what does that actually mean? Like, what do we do to logistically um, have a relationship with God? And how does that affect your dateability? Exactly. And that's that's what we did in our uh, day in courtship class was, how does being spiritually attractive affect your dateability? And it actually is a huge, uh, it can be a huge detriment or a huge attribute, right? A huge blessing to your dateability, a, a significant factor in it. So this will be fun to kind of walk through this. We haven't done one of these before. We didn't really do anything on this on season one. Mm-mm. But, you know, the last episode, we talked quite a bit about attractiveness in general. And we had Sarah telling us all those different things that she found attractive about Alec. And so... Figuring, listening to that, we have to dive into some of these specific ones. Yeah, it kind of gives you a little bit more uh, realistic, like, how-tos. I, like, I want to improve my spirituality with God and relationship, but I just don't know how that, how to do that. And so we're going to give you some some specifics that we have thought about ourselves or have talked with. Had others. people write in about. Yeah, we had people write in about these things. So we're excited to dive in. And we actually have a guest with us, one of my dearest friends. Her name is Taylor. So I want to pass the, the time to her to and introduce And we chose herself. her because she's an expert at spirituality, right? Oh, We're bringing oh my in experts. gosh. No, no, no. <laughs> she's, she's the Bigfoot of spirituality. This girl is something else. So we're really, I'm so excited to have her with us. So please, we're going to give you all the time you need to introduce yourself. Oh my gosh. Well, hi everyone. I'm Taylor. Um, I am from Southern Utah from a place called Santa Clara. I'm here at UVU studying um, special education and loving the process of learning. Um, I guess some other things about me. I really enjoy spending time with people who connect with Christ. I love the gospel, and I love being outdoors and pushing myself to do hard things. She just ran a half marathon this oh last gosh. weekend. So pushing the, one of the craziest. You guys examples. are making this sound like a, you're you're putting a profile out there for farmersonly.com or something here. <laughs> Interesting. Well, if you want to know something really cool, I do love pigs, like this odd obsession. <laughs> <Wow>. So <laughs> Farmers only here we come. Yeah, oh wait, for real. <laughs> um, we're super excited to have you. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on with us. So without further ado, Ryan, what do we've got today? Well, we I think we mentioned this Kayla in our last episode. Um when Sarah was telling some of her stories that we had a girl in our class this uh, semester who was telling us a story about, ah, I was in church on Sunday and this kid came down from bearing his testimony and she said, oh man, I I just turned to somebody else on my, the, another girl on my bench and said, man, there's just something about a dude with a testimony. And, you know, after she said that, I thought, man, we have got to talk about this, that that there are different levels of attractiveness and there are different areas of attractiveness. And that this is one that sometimes I think all of us value, all of us care about, but we don't often discuss. I've had students come in and say, I'm dating this person. They're really fun. They're all this and that, or they're really motivated. They're really ambitious, but I'm worried about their spirituality. 
you may not you may not talk about that with them, but you come and talk about it with your institute teacher. That's what I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. That they say, you know, what can I do? Is this something I should worry about? And so, w- what even is that? I think maybe this is one of those episodes, and this is one of those topics where we have to do a little defining right up front. Um, why is spirituality spirituality attractive? And what even is spirituality? You know, what it, what does that actually mean when we say, why is it attractive and what is it? Maybe we ought to start with, what is spirituality? Mm. You know, we, we bounced that around a little bit when we were chatting about preparing for this episode. And just, I was taking notes on what you said and thinking for myself and thinking, spirituality really can be measured maybe in two ways. Because you kind of want to measure it to some degree. You think you can measure spirituality? Well, don't we say they're so spiritual? That's a measurement of spirituality. Or they're just not spiritual enough. That's that's trying to measure someone's spirituality. So what are you trying to measure? I even think there's two different ways to measure it. There's like spirituality in a religious sense, and then spirituality in like a, like a mind-body-spirit connection, mm. um, where you focus on the inward... Uh, like the spirit rather than like worldly things. Okay. Um, and so I think that, I mean, obviously for the content of this podcast, we want to focus on like the religious. Dudes with a testimony are so Dude, hot. Exactly. Right? Okay. So attractive. The, 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 so attractive. The spirituality side of um, like religious yeah. spirituality. Um, yeah. So I think. Well, so just listening to, to all of you talk before, it seems like how would you measure that? One one way that you could measure spirituality is in effort, right? President Nelson, we said this even in the last episode, the Lord loves effort. In other words, when you go, wow, look at how much effort this person is putting into what? What are they putting effort into? And that's the other measurement. And I would say the other thing that you're measuring is achievement, right? Their spiritual achievement. And what is it that we're trying to achieve spiritually? And that all comes back to 3 Nephi 27. What manner of men or women ought you to be, even as I am, right? Where the Lord says, here's how you measure your spirituality. It's how close am I at becoming like Christ? How, and right, how much effort am I putting in to become like Christ? And how close am I to Christ in terms of my character, right? If I was measuring my character, you know, we, we all love that talk by Elder Bednar, Character of Christ. Mm-hmm. We're going to quote a little bit from it today. But we all love that idea. And so how do you measure your spirituality is how much is my character like Christ's? What are some of your favorite attributes about the Savior? Taylor, Karen. Kayla. Oh, I think one of my favorite attributes of the Savior is his... Um, is charity, because I think the um, seeing him act in charity and extending that love to people gives him this perspective of seeing people who they are and who they can become, rather than like setting a limit on who they are. And the more you and the more you develop charity within yourself, you begin to see other people in that same way. And so I love seeing charity um, exemplified in people. If that's the right word. Because then I know that they're really digging deep to see people the way the Savior would. And they're really trying to be like Christ because it's really hard to see someone for who they can become rather than where they are right now. And so I just see that there's a lot of effort put into someone when they're trying to extend charity. And so that's my favorite Christ-like attribute to see. That's nice. You kind of combine two in your comments. One is love, right? (laughs) One of his attributes is he's loving. And one of his 
that he sees people through charitable eyes, mm-hmm. right? That he has a charity and a desire and a belief in people mm-hmm. and can see potential. Well, now, now, that's attractive, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, for sure. That's when you go, that's something you can measure in yourself. Maybe not measure like in grams, mm-hmm. right, or in ounces, but you say, how much am I developing this attribute of Christ? Mm-hmm. And the more we develop that attribute, the more we are spiritual. Mm-hmm. And that's how we measure it. Yes. When someone is so loving and kind, you go, wow, they're so Christ-like. That, that is another terminology for, wow, they're so spiritual, mm-hmm. right? They're so in tune spiritually with being like the Savior. Uh, Kayla, anything to add to that? What's a, a favorite of yours of the Savior? Mm, I toggle back and forth in my mind with two. Uh, one being patient, and the other one is personable. So patient, because I have so many sh- shortcomings. Um mentally or just physically or just my personality I have a lot of shortcomings and the fact that the Savior is patient with that and is willing to help me um, progress and it's just he's waiting there for me to do so and then personable it kind of goes along a lot along the lines of like him being a one-on-one God where you see time after time and after time in the scriptures where he had many people around him but took moments of time as long as they needed to be with one person and just spent one-on-one time with them, whether or not he was exhausted or whether or not he was, um, whether or not he was in pain or suffering, like he spent one-on-one time with the person. And for me, someone who's personable like that and patient, it draws me to them because one, it shows that they want to spend time with me, but they're patient with my shortcomings and willing to work with me. Yeah, and, and isn't that great that both of those are actually born out of the attribute that you mentioned, Taylor? Yeah. That because he loves us, because he is full of love and charity, he wants to spend one-on-one time with us. And he is patient with us. And you go, and that's attractive, right? That, that, that's attractive in somebody that you're dating. If you go, man, they're, they're so full of love. They're, they're very Christ-like in the attribute of love. That's a very attractive thing. Some of my favorites are that he's selfless, mm-hmm. right? That one of the best Christ-like characters is that he's selfless, that he was willing to put others' needs ahead of his own, others' wants ahead of his own wants and needs, and that he he's able to think of others first. Elder Bednar said he's an outward, right? He thinks outward instead of turning inward, that the Savior thinks outward. One that we often don't mention, and I don't know if it's because we're, you know, we all feel a little guilty, but the Savior is extremely obedient. Yes. If someone had said to me, what are the two attributes that define the Savior? I would say love and obedience. That's true. He didn't do anything that was contrary to the yeah, will of God. Yeah, Absolutely. and that's what, right? He was the one perfect human. He, was, he, he had mastered self-control. There was that love and that obedience, that combination in him of those two. When you think about the Savior being able to completely control himself, what a spiritual attribute that is. So often we go, oh, they're so spiritual because they read their scriptures 25 minutes a day. Or they read four hours a day. But really a better measure of spirituality is how much they are like Jesus Christ. How loving are they? How selfless are they? How much are they obedient to Heavenly Father's commands? Sometimes we go, oh, they're so loving, but they have not developed any self-control. And you go, really, a measure of spirituality is that they have developed self-control. A lot of the like the spirituality-ness, like a lot of that's inward. You can't really see spirituality, but you see the fruits of it. 
Yes. And so you see, like, the, if people have characters like Christ, they, you see the fruits of their inward commitment to have a relationship so with So what them. would their fruits look like if you go, oh, they are so obedient? Like, you can't see, like, oh, my gosh, look at them walking down the street. They're full of obedience, right? <laughs> or, oh, they're full of charity. What would their what would their fruits be? What would their actions be? I'm sure actions is the word we're shooting at, right? Yeah. What is an action that you go look at look at how they have mastered themselves and learned obedience or learned love and charity? Mm. I feel like um, if I see someone who has exercised obedience or is striving to master that, um, I see it through their willingness to act upon revelation. And I don't, maybe, we don't know like their, what their personal revelation is per se, but you see that they're seeking it and they're striving to do um, what the Lord has asked them to. And maybe it's, um, you see them attending the temple, you see them attending sacrament meetings, you see them talking to people who might be lonely or just in the midst of friends and creating an environment that's good. Especially when it's inconvenient. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Because then you know that they are seeking to do what the, um, the Lord has asked, like the greatest commandment. If you love me, um, you'll love, oh man, I'm messing up the words. Um, love your neighbor as thyself, sorry. And um, be, you just see them exercising that. Yeah, for sure. The, the fruits of their labors are going to look like love, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And they're going to look like obedience, yeah. self-mastery and obedience. Mm-hmm. And someone, you know, how do you how do you demonstrate obedience by keeping the commandments? And I really like the phrase that you said, where you said, "They're seeking the Lord's will, mm-hmm. and to do it." Mm-hmm. So some of the commandments have just come to us. Here's the Ten Commandments. Here's the Doctrine and Covenants. Here's the New Testament. Some of the Lord the Lord has just given us. Here are God's commandments for your life to help you become more Christ-like. Here are His commandments, and some of them then. The other thing you said was, and they're seeking to know the Lord's will and to do it. That, that is the, an attribute of the Savior. He was always seeking to know the Father's will. Mm-hmm. And once he knew the Father's will, then he did it. So you're, obeying, you're obeying like the personal commandments that God has given you. Think of, yeah, or you're in your personal life situations. Think of him in Gethsemane. Is there no other way? Mm-hmm. If this is the only way, then I will drink from the bitter cup. Is, is, then let this cup pass from me. But if this is the only way... I'll be obedient to your will. So, so think of those two twin attributes, uh, or this where you go. There's the one of love and charity, and and it de- develops all those others like, you know, patience and all that. All that wrapped around love, and the other one wrapped around self control, and obedience. You put those two together, and really, those are. Those, you know, those two are the two pillars of the Savior's personality. Have you ever read this? I've got this little quote by Elder, uh, well, it was Elder at the time, now it's President Nelson. He says, a pivotal spiritual attribute is that of self-mastery. Pivotal meaning a pivot is something that everything else rotates around, right? So have you ever thought of self-mastery as a pivotal attribute, spiritual attribute? The strength to place reason over appetite. Self-mastery builds a strong conscience, and your conscience determines your moral response in difficult, tempting, and trying situations. Why the need for self-mastery, he asks? God implanted strong appetites within us for nourishment and love, vital for the human family to be perpetuated. When we master our appetites within the bounds of God's law, 
we can enjoy longer life, greater love, and consummate joy. It's not surprising then, President Nelson continues, that most temptations to stray from God's plan of happiness come through the misuse of those essential God-given appetites. Controlling our appetites is not always easy. None of us manages them perfectly. Mistakes happen. Errors are made. Sins are committed. What can we do? We can learn from them, and we can truly repent. We can change our behavior. Our desires can change. How? There is only one way. True change, permanent change, can come only through the healing, cleansing, and enabling power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. He loves you, each of you. And you think, wow, that a pivotal attribute is learning to control yourself, is learning that obedience that Jesus so perfectly demonstrated. And isn't that attractive? Absolutely. I mean, you think self-mastery is involved in why a person doesn't lose their temper, why they're kind, why they're right, why they are selfless. So much of that is learning to, through the Savior's help, learning to master yourself. And that is attractive. Do you remember Sarah in our last episode saying, yeah. one of my favorite things about Alec was when we were just kind of, you know, in the thick of dating, that one time we were kissing and he said, well, you know, that's probably good for now. You know, we ought to, we ought to stop right now and I probably ought to go home. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that was so attractive. And part of that had to have been because he showed that he could master himself. Uh-huh. That he could, he could show a, a sense of self-mastery that he could stop and say, I'm going home. Not that he could say, oh, I could just keep kissing and never get out of control. But that he had enough, enough control to say, I better stop now so I don't get out of control and go home. It was like he was playing def- or offense rather than defense. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. He was playing offensively, yeah. And so you, you look at this and you go, oh, that is attractive, isn't it? It is attractive. Think, how would you like to be married to somebody that was perfectly obedient, that had perfect self-mastery? What would that, what would that eliminate in terms of anxiety in your life? Well, if you, you were married to somebody who had learned self-mastery, like the Savior. Well, you'd probably, you'd, like, the trust would be through the roof because when they were, well, I mean, because you're set, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not married, but I can assume that as a married couple, you're not with each other for the most part all day long. You have your own separate activities and you work. work homes. Home, yes. exactly. So um, knowing that when they leave the house, that you can trust 100% knowing that, that they're going to come home to you and nobody else. <laughs> and that they're going to, like, keep um, what they know to what they know to be true and um yeah yeah when when they're away from you you can trust them because they have developed the christ-like attribute of Mm self-mastery right and when even when they're tired they're still going to do what's right because they have developed the christ-like attribute of self-mastery and that is extremely attractive well i think even to add on to that too it creates this sense of like you know that they're accountable and you know that when you're not in the picture per se, they are still doing all that they can to build that relationship with the Savior and that it's between them and the Lord and you can rely upon them strengthening that and in turn, it allows you to come closer together in the relationship. Also, another thought too is that when like a hard situation comes up, you don't have to tell yourself, okay, like how am I going to have to break the news to my husband or my wife that we need to make a change in our life? Yes. Because you know that when you present that, that they're going to be on board yeah. because they're going to have uh, Christ in mind and they're going to want the, like their will to be aligned with 
God's yeah. will. It, what a beautiful thing to say, I'm developing spiritually. What does that look like? I'm trying to be more like Christ. What does Christ look like? He is loving and selfless and full of self-control and self-mastery, right? And you go, wow, that that really is attractive. Just, you know, and it's not always, um, it's not always just that they control themselves in terms of, uh, you know, opposite gender. There are so many other things when you go, I'm marrying a, a man or a woman that can demonstrate self-mastery. You never have to worry about your kids either. You go, mm. they've got someone who can control themselves. They can control their anger. They can, they, they can be civil. They can control their appetites, right? They, they, they won't be into drugs. They won't be, you know, there's all these different things that as we learn obedience and self-mastery, that you go, that becomes one of those awesome things. One of my favorite stories was President Monson when he was a young bishop. I think he was a bishop at the time, um, that he went to the home of President Hubie Brown. And he went and picked him up, and he was going to take him, I think, you know, to, to a speaking engagement. And just as he's about to pull away, he escorts him out of the car and puts him in. Just as he's about to pull away, Elder Brown, President Brown says, wait, wait, wait just a minute. And, and Elder Brown was very old at the time, and Sister Brown, also, she was in a wheelchair. And he said, wait just a minute, Zino is going to come to the window. And he said, I watched, and sure enough, the window parted, and there she sat in her wheelchair, and she took out a little white handkerchief and waved it. Mm-hmm. And he took his out of his pocket and he waved it back. And he put his in his pocket and he said, okay, uh, Bishop, drive on. And he said, I pulled away from the curb and I said, President Brown, what is the what is the waving the white handkerchief to each other mean? And, and then I'm going to quote from him. What is the significance of the white handkerchief waving, I asked. The first day after Sister Brown and I were married, so this is the, the reply, as I went to my daily work, I heard a tap at the window, and there she was, waving a handkerchief. I found mine and waved it in reply. From that day until this, I have never left my home without that little exchange. Mm. It is a symbol of our love for one another, an indication to one another that all will be well until we are joined together at eventide. It's like, I love you, you can trust me. You know, isn't that just a great little story where you go, wow, isn't that attractive? Isn't it attractive to say, I want to date somebody who's developing. And, you know, like we had said before, they're making a concerted effort. That Just the effort part is attractive. They're going to church. They're going to the temple. Those things don't necessarily make you Christ-like or say that you are, but they, they help you to become that, right? Doing that isn't so much Christ-like, but it helps you to become like Christ. And so that concerted effort and then the achievement of actually developing the character of Christ. Um, I may be turning uh, uh, directions or degrees a little bit, but um, I, have a, so I have a sister who's on a mission right now. She comes home pretty soon. Uh, but she before she left on her mission, did a year of college. And um, this first year of college, she wasn't dating this guy. I don't think they were ever official, but they were going on dates. And he was a baptized member of the church, but um, didn't make an effort to go to church much. But because they met and were good friends, um, he said to her, like, um, Haley, would you, like, I, like, I'd start going to church if, if you wanted me to start dating you. And my sister was like, dude, I want you to come to church because you want to come to church. Not because, not because you, like, because you want to be with me. So I th- I'm thinking of 
individuals out there that um, may be wanting to date someone and it may be for the wrong reasons because like dating someone and making effort to go to church or get sealed in the temple when the motivation is for the person and not for God. So it makes me think of like, if you have, um, if this is something in your life that you want to improve on, if the motivation is for your significant other, I don't know how long that it'll keep up. Um, and so when thinking back to my sister um, and this kid, she like explicitly told him like, do not come to church for me. Like you come to church for God. And if that's not where, if that, if that doesn't work for you, then this won't work because I want someone who goes to church and keeps their covenants for God. And so um, when becoming a spiritual individual and coming close to God, the motivation must be because of God and loving him and wanting to have a better relationship with him or else how long can you keep that up? How long will it last? Yeah. If the motivation isn't in Christ, how long will that motivation last? For sure. Oh, wow. What a great story. Thanks, Kayla, for sharing that. And I think as you look at this and you say, so I just keep coming back to the same phrase, you know, right? I'm letting you make your comments, coming back to the same phrase, because I want people listening to this out in podcast land. I have to say podcast land every episode. <laughs> um, the people listening to this, I want them to go, wow, developing Christ-like attributes really is the most attractive thing, one of the most attractive things, if not the most attractive thing I can do in terms of attractive, like make people want to be with you. You know, the, the little Zina and Hubie Brown waving their handkerchiefs, you go, that is, there's something attractive about saying, I know I can trust you because you've developed, I know I can trust my heart with you because you're a loving person. I can trust my, my, my family with you, my patients, my, or, you know, or my, my imperfections. I can trust all of that. Because you have become spiritually like the Savior. Do you know uh, Emily Sandy has a song called Next to Me? Have you ever heard that? I I, I was just trying to find it on my computer, and I did. It is one of my all-time favorite songs. If you haven't seen it, she's on on the music video. She's just sitting at a piano playing it, and she sings it. And I'm just going to share some of the lyrics with you. I won't sing it. To, oh, to spare please, please, I would, I, please. Well, I would, but then we'd have to worry about copyright issues, right? So Aww. that's, yeah. But she says, you won't find him drinking at the table, rolling dice and staying out till three. You won't ever find him be unfaithful. You will find him. You will find him next to me. You won't find him trying to chase the devil for money, fame, or power out of greed. You won't ever find him where the rest go. You will find him. You will find him next to me. Then it's this whole course next to me, right? She does this whole long course, which is awesome. Um, When the money's spent and all my friends have vanished and I can't seem to find no help or love for free, I know there's no need for me to panic because I'll find him. I'll find him next to me. When the skies are gray and all the doors are closing and the rising pressure makes it hard to breathe, when all I need's a hand to stop the tears from falling, I'll find him, I'll find him next to me. When the end has come and buildings falling down fast, when the spoiled the land and dried up all the sea, when we've spoiled the land and dried up all the sea, when everyone has lost their heads around us, you will find him, you will find him next to me. That's a woman describing what it's like to be married to a man who is Christ-like. I don't worry about him going out and drinking. I don't worry about him carousing. I don't worry about... You know, my, him breaking my heart because he has developed the spiritual attributes of Jesus Christ. And there is something so attractive about that. 
that drop when this so when back to about my little student who said there's something about a dude with a testimony the more you are like christ there's something about a man or a woman that you go i want to be with somebody like that yeah um so i guess logistically what does that look like what how does building a relationship with the savior look like i guess to dive into it um it, a scripture comes to mind. It's actually my So you mean what does it look like or how does it happen? Um, well, speaking of, well, what, what's the motivating factor? If it's the Savior, um, then I want to go to a scripture and then we can dive, I guess, dive into both of those questions. Okay. What those look like. But um, a scripture to kind of start off, like the methods of um, coming to the Savior, it's Helaman 512. Um, my She's finding Didn't it with her broken hand. She's got, if you could see, she's got a cast on her arm right now. Tell us what you did, Kayla. Oh. Uh, how'd you break that? <laughs> so I was snowboarding. Um, I have an icon pass, so I was up at Brighton. Knew it, there was a month and a half of just absolutely no snow. Um, so there was a bunch of ice on the mountain. But mid of February, yeah, mid of February, so about a month ago, we, um, I had a friend and I, we went up because it was two powder days right in a row. So we went on that second powder day. And we were at the top of Snake Creek, which is just like the very summit of the mountain. And there was a little patch of ice off to the side. It was kind of like piled up. But because there was a bunch of powder over it, I just didn't know that it was like a wall of ice. So you're, you're making the story pretty dramatic. Keep going. Yeah, it's just, you know, I'm a dramatic person. Um, so um, well, I guess I'm just justifying why I fell over a little That's bound. Right. That's I, I figured <laughs> I was, you're getting there. Yeah. Uh, so I just ended up like running into this uh, mound of ice and... Broke my wrist. I think I landed on ice though. And you came all the way down the mountain. I did. I snowboarded down the mountain because I broke an arm. Like, because I could not lose my pride in a toboggan on the way down. I already left the pride at the top. I didn't need to drag <laughs> it all the way down too with me. So <laughs> okay, give us your scripture. Okay, so it's Helaman five twelve. Um, it says, "And now, my sons, remember, remember that it is upon the rock of your redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that ye must build your foundation." That when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwinds, yea, when all of his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you, it shall not, it shall not, sorry, it shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe, because of the rock upon which ye are built, which is a sure foundation, a foundation whereon if men build, they cannot fall. Um, so with this scripture in mind, it's my favorite scripture. I love the idea of building your foundation upon a rock that cannot move so that when the devil comes and he will with all of his winds and his um, whirlwinds and storms uh, that we cannot fall. So in thinking of that, like what is it that I can do um, that's personal to me to build a foundation upon the savior. Um, and that's kind and of what we've, or I guess want to kind of shift into is and like, become more like him. right? Yeah, exactly. Like what can we do what to become more like him? What methods can I do to develop these personalities of the savior? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess first we have, a we sent out a poll to a couple, well, to many people and they kind of wrote back with their responses. So we have a couple people that wrote what was in. Your, what was your question on the poll? Uh, the question was, uh, something along the lines of. In striving to become a more spiritual individual, what have you done to build your relationship with God and the Savior? And so this is what the responses were. Um, Serving in your calling, in your ward, um, going to the temple regularly, 
making consistent scripture study a part of your daily activities. Uh, set aside moments where you can connect with God on a personal level, whether that be in the temple or prayer, uh, sacrament meeting, scriptures. Act in faith. Um, having faith in the Savior and not necessarily the outcomes. Um, forgiving uh, one another, especially people that have done you wrong. Um, journaling your prayers and your communications with God. And then kind of like write down the the promptings that you receive from those prayers. Uh, listening to Christian music and to worship God. Having open discussions about the gospel with family, friends, and strangers. And um, going to church, partaking of the sacrament. So those are some of the things that people have wrote in. You know, as I, as I listened to all of these and as we kind of reviewed those before, I think a lot of these have something in common. They are they're the theoretical version of becoming like the Savior. In other words, you read the scriptures to see what he was like. You go, oh, these are his, right? These are his attributes. Um, in this story, I see what he would do. I, you know, I go to the temple and I learn about him. I go to church and I learn about him and I hear about him. And you go, there's got to be another step, though. There, you know, you can read the scriptures. I was telling you guys while I was telling your friend uh, that was here with us that, you know, I've had seminary students that went to four years of seminary. And the day they graduated from home and left home, they never went back to church. They had done all the theory, all the church theory in the world. They had heard every lesson. They went to Young Women's. I, I, one of these, these students I tracked down and, and found over here at the school. And I was like, oh, man, you know, I, I had you all these years. Now I'm teaching institute. Come to, oh, I don't go to church anymore. Like, you don't go to church. You never miss seminary a single day. Well, because I'm kind of, you know, OCD about that. And I'm like, and you don't want to come back? She's, and she said, no, I, I don't like the church at all. And I don't want to be involved. And I thought... Four years of sitting there, hearing the theory, but never changing the person. Hmm. And, you know, the last, ta- the last uh, episode we had, we talked about deliberate practice. Mm-hmm. And that's where you actually take the theory and you, you know, or, or you stop and you say, how can I actually practice this thing? allow it to change your life like allow yes. the savior through these methods like change your life and and deliberately do it though Absolutely. for example i took the sacrament well if it's not relevant to you and you're not going to deliberately practice it then it really is just bread and water mm-hmm. yeah uh, because the things you say in the sacrament are, are i will always remember him but if you eat the bread and then you don't always remember him what good did it do you it's not magic right you say i will keep his commandments if you don't walk away that we can say, I just promised to always think about him in different situations and then to keep his commandments and to act in a Christ-like manner. That's what take his name upon you, right? To be a Christian. You go, if I don't deliberately try to do that throughout the week, then it was all just theory. And I really didn't change at all. And I could take the sacrament a thousand times, a million times, and never become Christ-like. That, that all of these things that we do, these methods, have to be coupled with deliberate practice. Absolutely. I love. That's something that I've kind of been writing the last, oh, like year and a half is like being intentional with your worship with the Savior. Because like you were saying, you literally can do everything by the book, but never let it touch your heart. And if you never let it touch your heart, then how are you being changed by the Savior? 
Um, but then I've met people that have just messed up so much in their life, but are intentional about things in their life that bring them to the Savior. And they're some of the most spiritual individuals that I've ever met. That have changed. That have changed because they're so changed. That have become obedient, right? That have become loving. And so, um, one of the things that I, um, that I have put note in on, like what's helped me become a spiritual individual is being an intentional repenter, um, I took this class with the divine gift of repentance and forgiveness. Yes, I recommend that to every young adult. So take good. that. Yeah. That class, oh my gosh, it is incredible. Um, but I, I learned that like a lot of the times we refer to repentance as like this difficult, hard thing that we do. And yes, I think maybe starting may be difficult because you don't want to face um, sin. But um, if you, if, for me, I've changed like this mindset of, like I am the kind of person that repents daily and I am the kind of person that wants to be better and be more like my savior. Therefore, it's like a, like the moment I've messed up, it's like, oh, I know it's like repenting in the moment. Like, oh, I know I just messed up and I want to be better. Okay. So, uh, so it's that deliberate practice, right? It's not taking a class about repentance. No, that just helped me see. It's becoming a repenter based on the class that you've learned, right? And you go, I think we just need to couple those up because we have so many young adults going through the theory of church and, you know, ever learning and never, right, gaining understanding. <laughs> yeah. It's that idea of going, I, I've gone to church a million times and I'm no different. Why is that? I, I saw a post of a kid the other day that said, the church has never done anything for me. And uh, and I thought, wow, how could you, you know, how could you sit in water for all that time and say, I never got wet? You know, it's a, it's an yeah. interesting thought. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned that phrase and I just had this like whole experience come to my mind because for a moment there I'm thinking like the list of things and I'm like, yeah, that's really nice. And well, it's good, obviously, because it leads you to Christ. But then you think sometimes there's some people that sit there and they think, well, I do that. And like, what what's the difference? And I remember there was a moment in my life, like with dating and different things where I was at such a low point, like just getting off like a bad breakup and feeling like so alone and frustrated. And I was like, Heavenly Father, like, I'm here. Like, I'm so sad. And it's like, I'm trying to do these things that you're asking me to, but what is it that I need to do to feel this peace? And um, being intentional, intentional with the things that you're asked to of the Lord and having that desire really create this atmosphere for you to grow and to become. And I remember I was reading my scriptures and there was this verse that I'd read a million times before and I read it again and I just like these words like stood out to me um, and I'll read it here and then I'll explain. It says, but if you will turn to the Lord with full purpose of heart and put your trust in him and serve him with all diligence of mind, if you do this, he will, according to his own will and pleasure, deliver you out of bondage. And in that, um, I recognize that if I wanted to have access to the atonement, if I wanted to have access to the Savior and become more like Him, there were two things that I needed to do. And um, I think this goes back to what we're talking about, that there, um, well, for me, it was to serve Him and to trust and to put those into action. And as I did those things, I soon began to see how that bondage was slowly slipped away from me. But it wasn't until I had that intention or was delivered about the things that was asked of me that I saw the blessings come forth. Because, yeah, like I had read my scriptures and done the things that like were, in a sense, like checklists. But it was like once I was like, wait a second, if I serve the Lord and if I like actually trust him, then I can actually get out of this situation. 
So I actually have to do those things. And that required me to start focusing on ministry and going to the temple, calling up people, even though it was kind of scary to like actually hang out with them and doing all these things that were way out of my comfort zone. And once I did that, the bondage I was in, I was able to be released. And that's the same principle we can apply to with these things that people have listed. If we like really and literally think that if I put this into practice, I can develop more Christ-like attributes, it will happen because the Lord promises us if we seek things out, He will be in our midst as we try and strive to be Those experiences actually help you to become more like Christ. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because it is so easy to checklist as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think the Lord has given us so many opportunities and ideas for becoming like Him. But instead of them being seen as opportunities and ideas for learning to become like Him, they become checkboxes. Oh, the scriptures are a thing that I read so I can check a box. Like we're going to get to heaven and Heavenly Father's going to say, how many hours did you put on? Put in on the Book of Mormon? Like, oh, let's see, uh, 12,000. He's like, wow, that's the middle degree of the celestial kingdom. You pretty good. There what, you go. <laughs> you know, another 500 hours and you yes. would have made it to the top, you know. Elder Oaks, what would Elder Oaks say about this? He would say, it's not about that. It is not teach me all that I must know or, right? That it's teach me what I must be. Mm-hmm. That it is about becoming. We're going to be judged based on what we've become, not on what how many hours we've read. Uh, oh man, I have a brother who I swear it is his, it is his not goal in life, but it's his uh, duty in life to put me in my place. One day we were riding in his car. I remember he was with a date and I was with my wife, brand new wife, and he was like, "Oh man, I just started reading the Book of Mormon again. I love it. It's so great." And I st- I went, you know, I made a commitment on my mission to read the Book of Mormon every day. And it had been three years since I started it. And I said, you know, I have read the Book of Mormon five years straight and never missed a day. Hmm. And I was like, that's pretty smoking hot. And he goes, well, you just got your reward too. You got to tell somebody. And I was like, oh, man, you know, like you are a jerk. You know, right in front of my (laughs) wife. He says that. And and even though he was a jerk for saying it, true. I've looked back and gone, he was right. Why was I reading every day? Because I had made a goal. Yeah. And, you know, it used to always amaze me that there could be some members. When I was a missionary, I saw this a lot. There could be some members that have been in the church for five years and had attained a level of spirituality and Christ-like attributes that the people that I knew that had been members for 50 years had not attained. It wasn't an amount of time. It was how much had they allowed those activities to actually shape them? Yes. How much had they put in deliberate practice? Uh, one of well, We used to always say this as, as a family. There was this great talk, and I guess it was just the early 2000s. One of the brethren gave this talk about riding home from his baptism as a young boy. And he said, I was riding in the back seat, and, and, and he had this great Latin accent. He said, I was riding in the back seat, and my brothers were all fighting. And they're they all fighting, and they tried to get me into the fight. And I said, do not touch me. I have just been baptized. <laughs> and he says, I just, we, we have probably quoted that a million times in saying, I just committed to be good. Mm. I cannot sin now, right? It's, he didn't go, I just got wet and came out in white clothes. He said, I've just been baptized, and there I made a commitment to keep the commandments. I just love that idea. Do not touch me. I have just been baptized. I cannot fight with you. Mm. I've just been baptized where I said I wouldn't fight. Mm. So don't touch me. I've just been baptized. Hopefully that sticks in somebody's ear 
that's listening to this. <laughs> um, so there was like a, a also breakup uh, about a year and a half ago that I went through that um, altered a lot everything that like it just become it became kind of mundane to like read my scriptures and I was like well I know I want to read them that's like what brings me closer to God but um, I was like well if I do that more then I'll be closer to God which is true if you read His Word you will become closer to Him. If you, you are intentional, can become, yes, right? if you're you intentional with it. Um, but for me, like during that time, um, like going on walks by, by myself to like ponder and be with God was what brought um, that inner peace because I was spending time with, with him. But in my mind, it was like, because I wasn't kneeling down and praying, I was like going for a walk on the Provo Trail. And I would just spend a lot of time with him in ponder and thought and like and be thinking speaking. about your life. And thinking about my life. And what you would do, right? But in my mind, like, that didn't count because it wasn't praying at my bedside, reading the scriptures, and going to church. And so, for I guess my my thought is for people like myself at that time, and for the many times it'll happen from here until I die, that I feel like the things that we've been taught that are supposed to work aren't working. Don't forget that there are things that work for you, too. Like, if yeah. it's connecting in the mountains and, like... If you go on hikes and that's where you connect with God, like do that. If it's going on walks, do that. If it's meditating, do that. Like whatever it takes to connect with God, do it. And then enhancing that with being intentional in your scripture study and church attendance and temple attendance will increase your your connection with God. uh, Yeah. And this has been great. Thanks, you two. Let's just then encapsulate all this and, and go back and wrap it up. So what is spirituality? It really is a measure of your effort and your achievement at developing the Christ-like attributes, right? We, we say, oh, that person's so spiritual because of either they're trying to develop Christ-like attributes or they really have achieved some of those, right? And, and it really is a measure of you saying, this is how much I'm trying to achieve Christ-like attributes. Why is that attractive? Because it gives you, it fills your life with love and trust and you go, man, I could be married to somebody who has those attributes that is caring and selfless and kind. And and so, of course, you would want to be married to that person, right? It's probably even more than physical attractiveness. Once you get to know somebody, their spiritual attractiveness is probably the number one thing. How much is this person like Christ? The methods are, are both things that we can do, right? We like read your scriptures, go to the temple, and then you've got to take the method and actually put it into practice through deliberate practice and say, I'm going to let this change me. I'm not just going to read my scriptures. I'm going to do what I've read until I become, I'm not just going to go to the temple. I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to become Christ-like by doing that. I'm not just going to get a calling. I'm going to serve in my calling because that's what the Savior, right? He served other people. And you go, that just makes a person more and more attractive as they develop the spiritual attributes of Christ, they become more and more attractive. And that's something that every person on the earth, right? Joseph Smith would say every person is in, is capable of enlargement. That's what he's talking about, right? Okay, one final thing. Elder Orson Pratt, love this quote. I have it. I use it all the time. Mm-hmm. The more righteous a people become, spirituality, the more they are qualified or able, that's what qualified means, the more they are able or qualified for loving others. The more righteous you are, the better you will be at loving others and rendering them happy. 
A wicked man can have but little love for his wife. That's in the SEER 1853-54 student manual from the Institute, Dating Courtship Student Manual, page 157. But you go, the more righteous a people are, the better they'll be at loving each other. And wouldn't you want to be married to that? And that yeah. is attractive. Right? Mm-hmm. Thanks, Dave, so much for joining us today. Yeah. It was good to have you. Any other thoughts we ought to be saying here to wrap it up? I'm good. All right, we'll see you on our next episode. We'll talk more about attractiveness, but next time we're going on to social social attractiveness. Ooh. Oh, that stuff. Who are we going to find that's yes. an expert at being socially attractive? <laughs> that's a good question. We'll find someone. It's not me. Right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you. And again, if you have any questions, send them into the Art of Dating Podcast at gmail.com. And we'll catch you next time. Goodbye.